Good Friday afternoon, everyone, and welcome into the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network. You know, whenever you hear that music in the background, we're getting close to kickoff for the college football 2023 season. I, my name is Kenneth. I am the senior analyst for the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network. Want to say welcome to our top 25 preseason uh, poll release. And before we get into it, I just want to say a quick shout out to uh, my teammates, Miss um, Summer, Miss Mr. Billy, who are in Kenton, Ohio. Um, they were there. Um, Summer was on assignment for the um, Hall of Fame game last night between the Browns and the New York Jets, and the enshrinement of a couple of people that we've gotten to know over the years um, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So congratulations to the class that's going in as well as a quick thank you to everyone that's going to be listening or watching this on YouTube or Twitter um, or X or whatever they're calling it now and uh, listening to this on the podcast. So this is about the time of the year where everybody is either already released their top 25 for the college football um, preseason or we'll be here shortly. So we want to go ahead and once we got through really going through our process, we wanted to really um, get that in front of everybody. Now, what's going to be different between our poll and whether it's the AP top 25 or the college poll that comes out every week. And once we get later on in the season, the college football playoff um, rankings is our poll will be fluid from week to week. And what do I mean by that is your team could move up or down and not even play that week. Or let's just say your team is ranked in the top 10 and they're playing a team that we have ranked 100 or lower. Depending on the margin of victory, you can see your team fall out of the top 10 while that team that's ranked 100, even though they lost, they could climb up into the rankings. So it's really going to be a very fluid poll that's based on our scientific formula, our power rankings, our strength of um, strength of schedule, strength of opponent, things of that nature. So all of that goes into um, our final ranking of the top 25. And like I said, it's going to be fluid from week to week. So just because your team is sitting at, let's just say, number one, they could potentially fall out of that number one spot, even though they won, just based on other factors around you. And that's what a true poll should be. It should be very fluid from week to week. So without any further ado, um, as we get ready to get into the poll, get into uh, this release show here, want to ask you to please um, hit the like button, subscribe, and if you want, please leave a comment and let us know um, what are some things that we could possibly add or go into more in-depth uh, as we do the weekly polls throughout the season because these shows are designed for you, our listeners, and we want to give you the best product that we possibly can. So without any further ado, you know my motto, all aboard.
Coming in at number 25 out of the ACC will be the Louisville Cardinal. And I got to tell you, folks, looking at this team's schedule, really like how it sets up for this particular team week in and week out. Won't go through the entire schedule, but I will highlight uh, a couple of things here as I'm looking at their schedule. Going into their bye week, this team, if they can somehow navigate to have maybe just one loss, could set themselves up for a run to the ACC title game because Louisville does not play Florida State or Clemson this year on the schedule. And remember that game, October 7th against Notre Dame, that is not a conference game. So if they were to lose that one and maybe one other game in conference, they could still be in line for a possible ACC uh, championship game. So Louisville will come in at number 25 for us in this uh, preseason poll. Taking a look at number 24, we'll head out to what is right now the Pac-12, as we know that um, news just coming out earlier today that not only would Arizona be potentially going to um, what is currently the Big 12, but Washington and Oregon will be joining the Big Ten. These were kind of moves that were, were already anticipated. And I will um, share some, some information that we got uh, late yesterday. Do not be surprised if both Arizona State and Utah both uh, tip their hands and they will be joining the Big 12 um, here possibly in the next few days, if not week or so. So want to just kind of put that on your radar. I know we put that out on Twitter and we'll still refer to it as Twitter uh, a couple of days ago that Arizona, I mean, I'm sorry, Utah would be the most likely candidate. But after getting the news that Arizona will potentially join uh, the Big 12, do not be surprised if, like I said, Utah and Arizona State both join as well. But for right now, Coming in at number 24 is the UCLA Bruins. I want to give a quick shout out to my good friend, Charles Arbuckle, a former tight end and great UCLA Bruin. And as I look at the schedule for UCLA, and I know that they lost Dorian Thompson-Robinson, um, Cabernet, the, the running back. This team under Chip Kelly does bring back some talent. Projected starter Dante Moore has a really good set of running backs and wide receivers. And we know that Chip Kelly offense in the, in the Pac-12, it still works pretty well. So I'll take a look at, and I'll break their schedule up this way. In the first quarter of the year, so getting out of the month of September, Sneaky game in week two versus San Diego State, but Chip usually handles those games really well. 
the big showdown in the first part of the year is September 23rd at Utah. If they can somehow pull the upset in that ballgame, the rest of the schedule sets up pretty favorably until we get down to November 18th when uh, they take on Crosstown rival in USC. There's no Washington on this schedule. And if you look at a potential hiccup after the bye, here's the two weeks that you would probably be paying attention to. October 7th, uh, they will be playing Washington State at home. And October 14th, they will be traveling up to Corvallis to take on the Beavers of Oregon State. Coming in at number 23, the TCU Horn Frog. TCU had a fantastic run last year. And what we want to see from TCU is can they duplicate the success that they had last year? This team, I think, is poised uh, once we see the attrition of Texas and Oklahoma going to the big, I'm sorry, the SEC. TCU could be one of those teams that are primed to kind of be in position to be a perennial um, Big 12 title contender, if you will. Take a quick look at their schedule. If at all possible, if this team could get out of the first half of the season before their bye week, at six and two, everything is in front of them at that point. So looking at what they have before the bye as far as potential um, hiccups, I'm looking at that stretch right before the bye. And if they're not too beaten up, October 7th at Iowa State and then October 21st at Kansas State. If they manage to get through that, no worse than six and two. Here's how they close out the rest of the schedule. November 2nd at Lubbock uh, to take on Texas Tech. November 11th, home versus Texas. The following week, November 18th, home against Baylor. And then November 24th at Norman for maybe the final time against Oklahoma. If you're in position, like I said, at six and two, get get right during the bye. Every team that you're probably going to need to beat at that point, you're going to face either at home or on the road. So Sonny Dykes has an excellent opportunity if they take care of business in the first part of the season to where they can set themselves up to where they can make another run um, back to play in the Big 12 championship. Coming in at number 22, a team that's going to be talked about quite a bit, and that's the Tar Heels of North Carolina. North Carolina brings back um, Heisman Trophy, off-season candidate in Drake May. 
Drake's going into his uh, redshirt sophomore year. So after this year, if he chooses, he can declare for the NFL draft. Let's take a look at North Carolina's schedule. And the note that I have here is the first month of the season will tell us everything that we need to know about May as a quarterback and about the Tar Heels under Mac Brown in the 2023 season. They start with a neutral site game against South Carolina. That game will be in Charlotte. Following week, they'll play App State, Minnesota, and then travel up to Pittsburgh to take on the Panthers. If this team does not come out 4-0 or at least 3-1, it's going to be hard for them to make the ACC title game. Now, they don't play Florida State, but they do play Duke. I'm sorry. They do play Clemson at the end of the year. And when I start to look at their tough stretch after the bye week, their final three games are, are going to be a little bit of a gauntlet for them. Home versus Duke on November 11th, November 18th at Clemson, and then to close out the Season on the 25th, they will travel over to Raleigh to take on NC State. Coming in at number 21, the Wildcats of Kansas State. And when I look at Kansas State this year under Chris Kleiman, who has done a tremendous job as the head coach there in little in the Little Apple. Here's what my preseason notes um, really indicated. The first four weeks, they need to come out of that uh, first four four games before they're by four and zero. Southeast Missouri, Troy, at Missouri, which will be a a potential uh, trap game for them, and then finally. Uh, Big 12 newcomer in UCF. If they're able to come out of those first four games, 4-0, four and oh, everything is in front of Kansas State at that point because they have a little mini gauntlet coming out of their bye. October 6th at Oklahoma State, October 14th at Texas Tech, and October 21st home to TCU. Now they do play Texas on November 4th, but that little uh, three game stretch, two and one at the worst, provided that they go four and O to start the season, got a good chance of going back to the big 12 um, championship game. Coming in at number 21, a team that I went back and forth on whether I would put them or um, their conference rival in at this spot. But going through the schedule, it sets up really great for the Tulane Green Wave. Head coach Willie Fritz, once again, has done a fantastic job. Uh, this team went 12-2 and last year, and 
They're led by fantastic junior quarterback Michael Pratt, who will be on a lot of NFL draft watch lists um, coming into the season. I know that he's a quarterback that we have circled and could definitely improve his stock quite a bit with a fantastic season uh, in 2023. Don't sleep on South Alabama in week one, looking ahead to who's in week two. Because what's there for them in week two is a primetime spot where they bring in from the Southeastern Conference, Ole Miss. That game will have quite a few eyeballs on it. And if Tulane is able to upset Ole Miss, this team could run through the rest of their schedule and set up a game at the end of the year with UTSA, who we thought about putting the road runners in at this spot. But you're looking at a potential 10 and 1, 11 and 0 Tulane going into that game against UTSA. Hold on to your hats if they are able to upset Ole Miss. And I think Tulane is going to be live in that game. I haven't had a chance to really look at the look ahead lines yet, but. In the upcoming week, I will definitely be doing so. But there is a fantastic chance that Tulane could absolutely upset Ole Miss in that ballgame. Coming in at number 19. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah. The Ole Miss Rebels and uh, the Lane Train, who has um, been making a lot of waves as far as um, – NIL comments and, and things of that nature. But let's keep it on the field here with um, the Ole Miss Rebels. And as I always do, want to say a hello to all of my um, Rebel friends, Miss Kathy, Miss Donna, Miss Jen, of course, um, my friend and mentor, Ole Miss Evie, and her fantastic team at the Rebel Walk. Ole Miss brings back one of the best running backs in all of college football. Jackson Dart should be at the quarterback spot. If not, um, that'll go to Spencer Sanders. We've seen Ole Miss turn out really good wide receivers, and they got a transfer from um, UTSA in um, Franklin. Expect him to put up some really nice numbers this year. But the question with Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin has been what it has always been and what it will likely always will be. Is Lane going to make bonehead decisions as the head coach on fourth down instead of taking points or punting and is this defense going to be improved? Coming in as the new defensive coordinator for Ole Miss, former Alabama defensive coordinator Pete Golden. 
Now, let me say this about Pete really quickly before moving on. Pete Golding is a really good defensive coordinator. He helped Alabama win a national championship just a few years ago. But one of the criticisms of Pete Golding was he didn't make a lot of great in-game adjustments, and he struggled with um, getting his team prepared to face up-tempo offenses, like you saw against Tennessee last year when Tennessee hung half a hundred on Alabama and could barely move the football against the University of Georgia, led by Kirby Smart. That showed Pete Golding the door at Alabama and found a landing spot at in Oxford. We will see if the combination of Lane Kiffin and Pete Golding can have success against better competition. The first three weeks, Ole Miss needs to absolutely take care of business and put teams in body bags. We talked about the big-time matchup in week two versus uh, Tulane on the road, open with Mercer, and then uh, uh, the return game with Georgia Tech uh, there in the Grove. But here's where the body bag stretch comes for Ole Miss. In week four, they travel to Tuscaloosa to take on the Crimson Tide. Following week, they return home to take on LSU. And then October 7th, home against Arkansas. Find a way to win one of those three ball games. Because after your bye week, you have another little mini stretch. November 4th, home to Texas A&M. November 11th, travel to Athens. Uh, travel to Athens to take on the two-time reigning champion in the Georgia Bulldogs. Those are five games where Lane Kiffin, Pete Golding will be judged by me and our team of analysts. We're not going to measure you against Mercer, Tulane, and Georgia Tech, all due respect, or Vanderbilt, or Louisiana Monroe. Those are the games, including Auburn and the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State, is how we'll judge this year's 2023 Ole Miss Rebels. Coming in at number 18, we head back to the Big 12 as they finished their last year as a member of the conference, the Oklahoma Sooners. A lot of things went wrong for Oklahoma last year. The defense absolutely got slapped around, and Brent Venables, as the head coach, that's your side of the ball, sir. want to say a good um, quick hello to my good friend, Miss Jen. Um, big time um, Oklahoma Sooner fan. I said I would get to your team here, so here we go. This team will absolutely be better if two things happen. One, Dylan Gabriel stays healthy. And two, Brent Venables gets that defense fixed. I don't care who the I don't care who the defensive coordinator is. That's your side of the ball. That's what you were brought in to make sure was not a problem. Can't be giving up 
50, 50 burgers to Texas and to Kansas, I believe. So, Brent, get that defense fixed. Keep Gabriel healthy. Oklahoma should improve. Now, the schedule sets up really great for Oklahoma. In the first part of the year, should be able to go 4-0 to start the year. Now, here's where the schedule gets a little bit tricky. September 30th, home to Iowa State. And the reason I'm highlighting that game is because we know what happens on October 7th. The Red River Shootout versus Texas. Following that is a bye week. And then here's where another interesting twist to the Oklahoma schedule is. October 28th, they traveled to Lawrence to fight the take on Rock Talk, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, KU, in the Kansas Jayhawks. And then maybe for the final time, they travel to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State in Bethlehem. You hope that that rivalry game does not go away, but we can't guarantee that that game is going to continue with all the expansion going on. So I guarantee you that Oklahoma State is going to be amped up and hyped up for that particular game, especially because it's in Stillwater. Oklahoma Sooners need to watch out for that, that matchup. Coming in at number 17, a team that we're not as high on as some of the other preseason polls, but we have very good reason for that. And that is the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. So why aren't we as high on Notre Dame as some other preseason polls have Notre Dame has nothing to do with um, not trusting uh, the head coach, Marcus Freeman. Uh, Tommy Reese, um, former offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, now the offensive coordinator for uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They do bring in uh, former Wake Forest and ACC um all-time leader in passing in Sam Hartman coming over from Wake Forest. Talented stable of running backs, no question. What worries us about Notre Dame is two things. One, the wide receiver play, and I'm going to include the tight end in that because Michael, uh, Michael Mayer is now in the NFL. Who's your game breaker at wide receiver if you are Notre Dame? I see a bunch of names that are listed, but I don't see someone that's going to threaten the deep part of the field where Sam Hartman can um, put up seven on the board rather quickly. The other thing that concerns me is this defense. Where's your pass rush coming from? 
who is your pass rush coming from? Folky is in the NFL now, and he was the only guy that was really getting to the quarterback last year on any kind of consistent basis. The other thing that would concern me if I am a Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan is the schedule. As we look at Notre Dame's schedule, they need to get Hartman and these wide receivers on the same page in the first part of the season when they take on Navy in Dublin, Ireland, Tennessee State, A, tri a trip down to Raleigh to take on NC State in Central Michigan. So in those first four games, you better have everything um, cleaned up and, 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 and buttoned up. Because after that, you welcome in Ohio State on September 23rd. And then this four-game stretch, starting with Ohio State, has, has me interested. And actually, I'll stretch that out more than just the four games. I'm going to stretch it out to the six games in seven weeks. Okay, so you got Ohio State on September 23rd. You're at Duke on September 30th. Watch out for that game October 7th at Louisville. Then you return home to South Bend to take on USC a bye week on October 21st, and then you face Pitt at home, and then November 4th you are at Clemson. It is more than likely and no stretch of the imagination that Notre Dame in that stretch could lose three, if not four games. There will be a underdog versus Ohio State. Depending on how Louisville looks, that game will be a three-point swing one way or the other. The look ahead right now versus USC is Notre Dame is probably a one-point favorite. And at Clemson, depending on how Clemson does against Florida State, Notre Dame could be as much as a six-point underdog in that ballgame. It is not far-fetched to think that Notre Dame could lose three. And worst-case scenario, they could lose four games in that. Because of all the things that we just mentioned, that's why we have the Fighting Irish at number 17 in our preseason poll. Coming in at number 16, we head to the SEC and a team that um, has been a little bit disappointing under the tenure of one Jimbo Fisher, but you cannot deny the talent, and that is the Texas A&M Aggies. The Aggies, as you know, have brought in a very interesting candidate to be the offensive coordinator. We will see how that marriage goes with Jimbo Fisher. Will Jimbo actually give up the reins 
As far as being the play caller, folks, only time will tell. But this defense um, should be absolutely nasty. A lot of blue chip uh, players brought in over the last couple of years, uh, led by defensive tackle Walter Nolan, who, if he turns the lights on, could absolutely be special um, as a three technique in that defense. Connor Wagman um, takes takes over the reins as the full-time starting quarterback. He has some weapons to throw to, and we'll just highlight two of them really quickly. Um, Smith and Stewart. If this team could actually put it all together and live up to their potential, this team should absolutely be in a dogfight to represent the SEC West in the SEC title game. Let's take a let's take a look at their schedule stretch and see where we see um the potential headings. Get through that game in week two in Coral Gables um with the return game with um the Miami Hurricanes. Worst case scenario, this team needs to come out of those first three games, two and one, three and oh, if you're an Aggie fan. And speaking of Aggie fans, I want to say a quick hello and uh, shout out to a good friend and mentor, former Texas A&M legend quarterback, Mr. David Walker. Guys, here, here's the stretch. Here's the four-game stretch for the Aggies. I mean, if you want to know if the Aggies have a chance to go to Atlanta, these are the four games that's going to determine that. Starting September 23rd, a home game with Auburn. September 30th, they travel to Arlington to take on Arkansas. October 7th, they welcome in Alabama. And then October 14th, a trip up to Knoxville to take on the Tennessee Vols. You tell me what their record is after those three games, I'll tell you if they're going to Atlanta or not. Now, we're not overlooking that that stretch in November either where they will travel to Oxford to take on Ole Miss November 11th. Uh, Mississippi State and then closing out the year in Baton Rouge against LSU. But those four games right there in the middle of the year would go a long way in determining how far the Aggies can go this year. Folks coming in at number 15, and this is a team that I am extremely high on, and it starts with that fantastic head coach in Luke Fickle. And I am talking about the Wisconsin Badgers. It was a struggle for me to keep them at 15, honestly. Um, This team has everything to win what is the final year of the Big Ten West. 
to get that quote-unquote automatic berth by winning your side of the division. As we know, the Big Ten will be moving away from divisions starting next year when they bring in USC and UCLA. But Luke Fickle did a fantastic job there at Cincinnati. Brings in quarterback Tanner Mordecai to run this new version of what's going to be known as Wisconsin football. Now, folks, if you think that Luke Fickle is about to start to run the run and shoot and all of this um, up-tempo offense, you don't know Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle wants to modernize the passing game there at Wisconsin, which it has not been for the better part of three decades. It's been run on first down, run on second down, and we'll run it on third down. That will not be the offense under Luke Fickle. I will tell you this team will run the ball. They will play really good defense. And Luke is not going to be content with just handing the Big Ten championship to Ohio State, Michigan, USC for the next decade. That's not Luke Fickle. He came there because he wanted a challenge and he wanted to step back into the Big Ten, go up against his alma mater in Ohio State and prove once and for all that he can coach at this level with this kind of talent. And speaking of talent, guys, he's got a fantastic running back in Braylon Allen, the junior running back uh, there for the Badgers. We'll probably see more receptions out of the backfield this year than he's had in his entire career. I like the way the schedule sets up for Wisconsin. The first month of the season, um, they have a bye week, um, September 30th. But if they're able to get out of Pullman, Washington with a win on September 9th and beat Purdue there in West Lafayette on September 22nd. This stretch towards the end of October sets up to where everything will be in front of Wisconsin at that point. October 14th, home versus the Iowa Hawkeyes. October 21st, they travel up to Champaign to take on the Illinois Fighting Illini. And then October 28th, the big boy rolls into town, and that's Ohio State. Win the first two. Take care of Purdue, and you got an excellent chance of heading to Indianapolis to play for the Big Ten Championship. Coming in at number 14, we head to what will soon be Big Ten rival, but for right now, they're still in the Pac-12, and that is the Washington Huskies. UW is in the house, and we think this team sets up really well for a stretch run in what is likely to be their final year in the Pac-12. Head coach Kalen DeBoer, fantastic offensive mind. 
I think, one of the best offensive minds in college football. And he's got a talented signal caller in Michael Penix, who will be on the Heisman watch list. And, folks, if you don't know the names, get familiar. Yes, Ohio State has two excellent wide receivers in Marvin Harrison Jr. and Double E. But this group out there in Seattle does not have to take a back seat to anybody, including those two guys up there in Columbus. One and two, Rome and Jalen are as good at the wide receiver spot as any duo in America right now. Both of these guys should be on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list. That's for the best wide receiver in college football. And if this team is able to get any support from the defense, this team could absolutely make a run for the Pac-12 championship this year. Looking at how their schedule sets up, boy, if everything holds, this team needs to come out 5-0 and going into the bye week. Because coming out of the bye week, they got that showcase showdown on October 14th with soon-to-be Big Ten rival in Oregon. I'll get to them in just a moment. But then November 4th at USC and November 11th, home versus Utah. November 18th at Oregon State. That three-game stretch, along with that game against Oregon, will tell you if the Washington Huskies are pretenders or true-life contenders. Coming in at number 13, we just talked about them, the Oregon Ducks. Quack, quack, duck attack. Former Auburn quarterback, now leading the charts there in Eugene is one bold Nix for his senior year and a chance to really improve his draft stock. Bo Nix is poised and ready to lead a fantastic Oregon attack. Looking at how their schedule sets up, don't sleep on that game September 9th when they travel down to Lubbock deep in the heart of West Texas to take on Texas Tech. That's not a game you want to play around with. You want to go down there, take care of business, and get out because the first part of the season going into that bye week, this team absolutely needs to be 5-0 and if there's any shot of playing for a national championship because coming out of the bye on October 14th, <coughs> excuse me, they travel – to Seattle to take on the Huskies. October 21st against Washington State. October 28th at Utah. Before that November 11th showdown with USC coming up to Eugene. If you don't take care of business the first five weeks, those three games are not going to matter nearly as much. Start 5-0. and and have everything in front of you at that point to potentially make a run 
for the final time as a member of the Pac-12. Dan Lanning, worry less about what Deion Sanders is doing at Colorado and worry a little bit more about getting your team to the Pac-12 championship. Coming in at number 12, we had back to the Southeastern Conference, and we got a little bit of Rocky Top uh, going. The Tennessee Volunteers had a fantastic year last year under head coach Josh Hyde. Hendon Hooker, that stable of wide receivers, did a fantastic job breaking a long drought against the University of Alabama, finally beating Nick Saban for the first time as the head coach of Alabama, um, going up against Tennessee in that rivalry game. So fantastic job there by Josh Heifel. Finished the year with a heartbreaking loss against Georgia. Disappointing loss against South Carolina, where they absolutely got um, roasted and toasted. But Joe Milton had a fantastic bowl game against Clemson. Now, is it something? Is it everything or is it nothing? We'll say it's something, but it's not everything. Now, what Joe Milton has this year is another dynamic set of wide receivers. Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton, and tight end Jalen Wright, all really good at the wide receiver spot. So talent would not be a problem with the Tennessee Volunteers as far as being able to move the ball down the field. Can Joe Milton come close to the production of Hendon Hooker. And what do I mean by that? The touchdown to INT ratio that Hendon Hooker last year had was spectacular. Can Joe Milton not just throw the ball deep because we know the kind of arm talent he has, but there's a reason why he got beat out by Hendon Hooker a couple of years ago. It's a reason why he transferred from Michigan because he hasn't been able to put it all together at the quarterback spot to where he could lock down um, that quarterback spot. Now, looking at their schedule, they got a game right here in my backyard in Nashville, Tennessee on September 2nd versus Virginia. What used to be one of the biggest showcase show, showdown games of the college football calendar was that early matchup against the Florida Gators. Folks, we know what Florida is. More importantly, we know what they're not. They are no longer an SEC championship contender, a team that's going to find themselves in the national championship hunt, and a head coach who, if he doesn't get get busy living, he's going to get busy getting fired in Billy Napier. But as we flip it back to the balls here, the way the schedule sets up, 
You can't look past that game because it's in Gainesville. Nor the following week against UTSA and the revenge game against South Carolina on September 30th. But coming out of that bye week, this is where their three-game stretch really is where the rubber meets the road. October 14th, a home game versus Texas A&M. That third Saturday in October, one of the most famous games in not only Southeastern football history, but college football history. And that's when Tennessee plays Alabama in this game. This year is in Tuscaloosa when they take on the Crimson Tide. Then October 28th, they travel up to Lexington to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. If you can come out of that stretch two and one, you set up the big-time matchup on November 18th with the two-time reigning champion, the Georgia Bulldogs. Coming in at number 11, and we're going to start to, to pile our way through these a little bit quickly here. And that is the Penn State Nittany Lions out of the Big Ten. This team uh, finally, if you listen to the fan base, is excited because they finally have a quarterback that they believe in currently. Sean Clifford out. Drew Aldler is in. And when we look at Penn State, the question we're going to have about Penn State and James Franklin and this cast of um, characters there in um, Happy Valley is can they beat in the same year Michigan and Ohio State? Let's take a look quickly how the schedule sets up. Do not sleep on those two games in September. At Illinois on September 16th and a home date with Iowa the following week, September 23rd. If you don't take care of business in, in those two games, oh boy. State College PA is not going to be happy about. But here's where the schedule really gets difficult. October 21st, they travel to Columbus to take on Ohio State. Don't sleep on these next two games either. October 28th versus Indiana. Depending on how that game goes the week prior versus Ohio State. November 4th, they travel to College Park to take on the Terrapins of Maryland. Then November 11th, a home game versus Michigan. Now, for the life of me, I can't understand why they didn't make this the whiteout game versus Michigan. That game is going to be an early afternoon kickoff. I think that was a huge mistake by Penn State. I would have demanded that that be the whiteout game because I would want Michigan under the lights with 100,000 fans dressed in white, and that 
stadium there in Beaver Stadium absolutely rocking and rolling. Because there is something about Penn State when they play under those lights in an all-white-out game where the amps are just cranked up a little bit more. I think that's a mistake on their part by not forcing that game to be in prime time. Penn State has a terrific set of running backs coming back this year, led by Nicholas Singleton. Can Aller get it going at the quarterback spot? And if so, who are the wide receivers he's going to be throwing to? My next question would be about this defensive line, especially the front seven, but like I said, that defensive line, can they hold up to a physical running attack? that they're going to see a couple of times this year. That's going to tell a major story about Penn State. Let's get into the top 10, everybody. Coming in at number 10, soon to be a member of the Southeastern Conference, right now for the final time, is the Texas Longhorns. We're not going to use that phrase, Texas is back as, a couple of their uh, former quarterbacks have tried to utter Texas. In order for you to be back, you have ha- you would have had to been there in the first place. Looking at my history book, Texas has had a few good years, string them together, but has never been the dominant program that they would lead you to believe. Yeah, they dominated the Southwest Conference. When they uh, left the, forced the, 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 the destruction of that conference and joined the Big Eight, which became the Big 12, Oklahoma was the premier program in that conference. Oklahoma was winning championships, Heisman Trophy winners playing in big-time bowl games, not the Horns of Texas. Steve Sarkeesian, as a head coach, has never won double digits in the regular season. This would be unacceptable with this much offensive talent. And no, I'm not talking about that kid with with a very well-known last name as the third-string quarterback. I'm talking about Quinn Ewers. I'm talking about another team who doesn't have to take a back seat as far as having the most talented wide receivers in college football. Willington, Worthy, and Mitchell are as good of a trio in college football as you will find anywhere. And that includes the team up in Columbus and that team in Seattle. Let's take a look at the schedule sets up. We know what waits for them as far as the Texas Longhorns in week two, and that's a trip to Tuscaloosa to take on what will soon to be conference rival, the Alabama Crimson Tide. For everybody that says that Texas should have beat Alabama last year, Alabama had, I believe it was 15 penalties in that game for well over 100 penalty yards. 
the fact of the matter is, as badly as Alabama played, yes, Quinn Ewers went out early in that ball game with an injury, and he was cooking with hot grease. You still didn't get it done because Bijan Robinson only had really one big play, and that was out of the backfield um, as a receiver in that ball game. He was bottled up against the Alabama Crimson Tide in that ball game, as far as his rush production. Whether you win or lose that game does not truly impact your Big 12 future. What will affect your Big 12 future is the back-to-back games September 30th against Rock Chalk Jayhawk KU. That game is in Austin. And then you head to Dallas for the showcase showdown against the Oklahoma Sooners. But if you think you're done after that stretch, you're not. Because come see me in November, because that's what they remember. November 4th, taking on the Kansas State Wildcats. And then the following week, they head to Fort Worth to take on the Horned Frogs of TCU. Texas, with all of this talent on both sides of the ball, you have to get it done this year. Coming in at number nine, a team that's making a a lot of noise about jumping conferences, but once again, has not lived up to the hype, and that is the Florida State Seminole. Mike Norville, fantastic year last year going 10-3. and Got a little lucky with the kick hitting the upright against your week one opponent in LSU. This game will be a neutral site game, this time in the state of Florida, in Orlando. Florida State, whether you win or lose this game, will set you up for the biggest game on your schedule in the first half of the year. And that's September 23rd when you hit to Clemson, South Carolina. Because, folks, there's only one Death Valley, and that's in Baton Rouge. So I'm not calling whatever that stadium is there in Clemson Death Valley. But you will head to Clemson, South Carolina, where they will rub Howard's Rock. You need to find a way to go 2-0 and against LSU and Clemson, but don't sleep on September 16th when you head up to Chestnut Hill to take on Boston College. Don't be looking ahead to Clemson that following week and not take it, take care of Boston College in that ballgame. Rest of the schedule sets up pretty well until we get to November, where November 4th you head up to Pitt, Spur PA, to take on the Pitt Panthers, before coming back home to take on rival Miami there in the Doke on November 11th. Coming in at number eight, a team that we are high on once again, and for now in the Pac-12, but like I said earlier, we expect them to jump to the Big 12 and that is the Utah Utes. This team is absolutely 
talent all over the place. And if quarterback Cameron Rice, Rising is healthy to start the year, watch out. Cal Whittingham, one of the best head coaches in all of college football, starting his 20th season. And in his 19 years, has just done a fantastic job there in Salt Lake City. A return matchup with the Florida Gators in a game that they absolutely should have won last year. We were all over it. A lot of mistakes in that ball game, but whatever did not get it get it done against the Florida Gators. But they welcome the Gators to now that altitude there in Salt Lake. And folks, if you don't think that that's that's going to be a factor, it will absolutely be a factor. Let's take a look at the rest of that schedule, how it sets up. And two big games there to close out the month of September. A home game against UCLA before heading up to Corvallis to take on Oregon State on September 29th. Here's where the schedule, the two-game, as we like to call it, the Texas two-step. October 21st at USC, October 28th, a home date against Oregon. Probably need to sweep those two. Worst case scenario, lose one, but you got to run the rest of the table there in the Pac-12 as far as your conference games. Let's not forget that matchup on November 11th when they travel up to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies. Coming in at number seven, the Bayou Bengals of Louisiana State University. They're out of the Southeastern Conference. This team under Brian Kelly, good year, not great year. And when I say it was only a good year, yes, they won 10 games, lost four. That's why it's not a great year. That's the kind of respect that I have for the program there in Baton Rouge. This team over the last 25 years, I don't care who the head coach has been, Nick Saban, Les Miles, Ed Orgeron. This team, when they are right, this team has more than enough talent on the schedule to compete for a national championship. That's why the pre previous three coaches all have a championship ring on their finger. Make no mistake, LSU brings back the apex predator on defense. For the past two years, that has been Will Anderson at the University of Alabama. This year, it's sophomore phenom Harold Perkins. When I tell you this Young man reminds me so much of Micah Parsons, former Penn State standout, and now uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. It is frightening. They're going to move him all over the chessboard, so you never know where he's going to line up. He could line up in the A gap. He could line up in the B gap. He could come from the edge. He could loop. He could twist. He could stunt. He's going to have a lot of autonomy in that defense, if it's done correctly, to find the weakness on that offensive line and force the opponent to adjust to wherever he is. If the rest of that defensive front seven 
can give him a little something, this LSU defense could be absolutely special. Jalen Daniels, we had some questions about coming from Arizona State. He answered a lot of those with just pure 100% toughness, played a lot better with LSU than what we saw him do at Arizona State. So credit to Brian Kelly and that coaching staff there at LSU. Guys, he's got a fantastic wide receiver to throw to in Malik Neighbors. Could be one of the best wide receivers in all of college football. Mason Taylor at the tight end spot, another name to keep an eye on. But this season will boil down to winning those games that you absolutely have to win. Let's take a look at their stretch run. Let's look at the first part of the season. We've already highlighted that game in week one against Florida State. Let's take a look at September 23rd, home to Arkansas. September 30th, they head up to the Grove to take on Ole Miss. Not two games that they can sleep on, given the talent with those teams. You take care of business in the first part of the season. You get your bye week before heading to Tuscaloosa on November 4th to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide before closing out the season November 25th versus the Aggies of Texas A&M. Coming in at number six, the man of Troy in USC. Welcome back Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. We know under Lincoln Riley, this team is going to be able to put up points. The question will be, if they can get out of the first six games, 6-0, and oh, which they should be because they should be heavy favorites in every one of those games. We're talking San Jose State, Nevada, Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, and Arizona. Before that big matchup, October 14th at Notre Dame before coming back home on October 21st to take on Utah. Then they close out the season with a three-game stretch that is not going to be a cakewalk for anybody, and that's against Washington on November 4th. November 11th, they head up to Seattle to take on the Ducks of Oregon before closing out the season on November 18th versus UCLA. We get into the top five, and guys, this is going to create a little bit of conversation here, but coming in for us at number five is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the first question we got was, why is Ohio State ranked number five? We have a couple of questions about Ohio State, and it has nothing to do with talent. Because if you're in our preseason top five, you are a national championship contender and potential favorite to win the national championship. So this is no slight to Ryan Day or his team there in Columbus. But here are some of the questions that we have, it, have about Ohio State. One, you just lost the best quarterback in your program history. I know Troy Smith won the Heisman. Cardell Jones slash JT Barrett got you to a national championship. But C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback that has played there in Columbus. He couldn't deliver you 
a championship with potentially over a three-year stretch, five first-round picks at the wide receiver spot because I believe both of these wide receivers there in Columbus will likely be first-round picks, and we're talking about Emeka and Marvin Jr. So in comes Kyle McCord as the starting quarterback. And it's not what Kyle can be two years from now, three years from now. It's what can he be opening day throughout the rest of the year? Can he be as good this year as C.J. Stroud has been over the last two years? And before all of my Buckeye fans say absolutely yes, let's just remember, C.J. Stroud was a Heisman Trophy finalist in both of those years that I'm talking about. Can Cal McCord, can you guarantee that Cal McCord is going to do that? We don't know. We haven't seen him. Brian Hartline, that's the offensive coordinator. Now, Brian Hartline as a recruiter, A+. Plus. As a wide receiver coach, A+. Plus. As a developer of young talent at the wide receiver spot, once again, A+. Plus. There's not a single person that's listening to this podcast or stream right now that can tell me what Brian Hartline is as, as an offensive coordinator because he has never called plays at any level. That's not to say that Brian can't do it. There's just no evidence of him being able to do it. Third question, defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. There's not a talent issue there in Columbus. This defense has got to play better. And I don't mean better against Indiana or against Northwestern or against Michigan State. You know the three games that I'm talking about. How are you going to look against Notre Dame? How are you going to look against Penn State? How are you going to look against Wisconsin? How are you going to look against Michigan? The final question that we have about Ohio State is Ryan Day. I've looked at his record overall at the University of Michigan. I'm, I'm sorry, at the University of Ohio State. His record is absolutely fantastic. But at Ohio State, you are not going to be judged on your overall record. No coach since Woody Hayes has been judged on your overall record. What you as the head coach of Ohio State, you will be judged on how do you do against Notre Dame, how do you do against Penn State, and how do you do against that team in Ann Arbor, and that's the University of Michigan. Don't believe me? Go ask John Cooper. John Cooper had a fantastic record as the head coach of Ohio State. When you struggle to beat Michigan, when you struggle to beat Notre Dame and Penn State, 
that gets you scrutinized. With what is the expectation there in Columbus? Losing to Michigan for a third straight year will be unacceptable. But before you get to that ball game, that two two game uh, two step in October versus Penn State on October twenty first, and then heading over to Madison where they will be jumping around October twenty eighth, where former Buckeye great. Interim head coach that didn't really get a great shot at that job in Luke Fickle. If you don't think Luke is going to be ready for that ball game, watch out. Coming in at number four, let's get into it. Out of the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Clemson Tigers. I don't think anybody else is as high on Clemson as we currently are right now. It's because of the conference that they play in and how the schedule sets up. The first month of the season, yes, they opened with Duke on that Labor Day um, weekend. September 23rd, they got that game circled when they welcome in Florida State. After that, yeah, back-to-back weekends in, to end October at Miami, heading over to Raleigh to take on NC State, and then November 4th against Notre Dame before um, closing out the year at home to North Carolina before um, – closing out the season at Columbia, where they take on in-state rival, uh, South Carolina. The schedule lays out really good if you are Dabo Sweeney. If you can handle business those first three weeks and take care of business against Florida State, you will likely be a touchdown favorite the rest of the way. That is why we have Clemson at number four. Coming in at number three, we head to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where the Alabama Crimson Tide comes in at our number three team in the preseason. Why is Alabama ranked number three? Glad you asked. Now, for those who would say Alabama should not be ranked as high because Alabama could have potentially lost four games last year instead of the two that they lost. We know about the overtime loss to LSU and the misfield goal by Alabama at the end of the game. Should have never attempted that. Nick Saban still hasn't learned that lesson yet. But when your defense can't get a stop, you go for the field goal. They miss, Tennessee comes down, kicks a long field goal, breaks the streak. Well, you say Alabama should have lost against Texas A&M. A&M had the ball inside of the Alabama 5 or inside the Alabama 10, I believe. Um, Last player of the game with a chance to win that ball game. Alabama should have lost week two uh, against Texas. 
if you flip it around, if you want to play the what if game, Alabama wins against Texas and against Tennessee. I'm sorry, lose loses Texas and Texas AM, but beats Tennessee, beats LSU. Alabama's in the SEC title game, and Alabama's playing Georgia for the SEC championship game. Yes, Alabama loses number one overall pick and former Hosman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. Alabama also loses the best pass rusher they've had since Derek Thomas and Will Anderson Jr. Yes, Alabama loses four other players that were drafted off of that defense. Absolutely. Nick Saban's still a damn head coach in Tuscaloosa. This team will not be devoid of talent as long as Nick Saban is the head coach there in Tuscaloosa. Now, they bring in not only a new offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese, who leaves Notre Dame, but brings back for the third time under the Nick Saban era, Kevin Steele to run the defense. I can tell you talking to people inside of the complex there in Tuscaloosa, Nick Saban wants to get back to being built by Bama. A physical dominant offensive line. A team that can run the ball when they want to, and they can damn sure get four or five yards when they have to. You throw for the show, you run for the dump. In other words, you pass to get the lead in the second half, you ground a team into submission, and nobody has done that in the last two years better than that team that's held up that trophy there in Athens, and that's the University of Georgia. Alabama has done that for a decade and a half. Got away from it over the past couple of years. Discipline issues as far as committing a lot of dumb penalties, especially on the road, false starts, especially. Take a look at Alabama's road games as far as penalties. It is a nightmare how many games that they had at least nine penalties last year. Not blaming that on the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator last year. Blaming that on the head coach. Nick Saban brought in Kevin Steele to simplify this defense so that elite talent could play faster. That defensive front seven can be as good as we've seen from Alabama over the past couple of years, starting with Tim Smith, Jaheim Otis. Dallas Turner will be expected to bring the heat from that Jack linebacker spot. And the secondary if they are able to jail, led by one Kool-Aid McKinstry, this could be one of Nick Saban's best secondaries if they all come together that he's had in the last couple of years, and that is a very bold statement. Let's take a look at the Alabama schedule really quickly. Open with Middle Tennessee State. We know about the Week 2 matchup we've already talked about. 
versus Texas. A trip to South Florida for, let's just say, recruiting purposes when they travel September 16th to take on the Bulls of um, UCF. I'm sorry, USF. Let's take a look at the at the the stretch for Alabama. That's going to tell it all. Starting with September 23rd, a home date with Ole Miss. September 30th, they traveled uh, across Highway 82 to Columbus, Mississippi, to take on Mississippi State. The following weekend, they head down to College Station to take on the Aggies of Texas A&M before coming back home three out of the next four weeks with a bye week um, there after the Tennessee game, but Arkansas, Tennessee, bye week, and then LSU. If Alabama manages to run the table, In the first part of the season, Alabama's right back in the national championship hunt. And currently, right now, Alabama is favored in each of those contests. So it's not just me that's high on Alabama. Our guys out in the desert are as well. Coming in at number two, and this should be no surprise to anyone, and that is the Wolverines of Michigan. Whatever has happened with Jim Harbaugh in getting, quote-unquote, a, a pay cut, whatever, they have figured out how to match up with Ohio State, at least for the past two years. They would need to do so once again if they want to go back to Indianapolis and play for a Big Ten championship for the third straight year. Something that the Buck, I'm sorry, the Wolverines have not done in um program history since we have gone to the big uh Big Ten championship. I want to say a hello to my good friend Miss Tabs, uh big Wolverine fan along with all of the other Wolverine fans that are listening. Guys, ladies, one of the reasons why we have Michigan at number two, it's not just because of the talent, and there's plenty of talent there. But this non-conference schedule that the Wolverines are playing is absolutely embarrassing. The first three weeks of the season, they all all are non-conference games. So these are games that you absolutely control. It's absolutely pathetic. You open with Eastern Carolina, UNLV, and then Bowling Green. You don't leave the state of Michigan until the last week of September when you go to Nebraska. Your tough stretch is at the end of the season, starting at November 11th at Penn State, following week November 18th against Maryland, 
And then the showcase showdown with Ohio State there in Ann Arbor. Michigan, let, let's do better with the schedule. We know that you have tremendous talent with those two running backs, probably the best duo of backs in college football, in Quorum and Edwards. Let, let's schedule some big-time opponents. You have plenty of time for your offense and defense to jail before November. As long as there are no slip-ups, Michigan should be ranked no worse than in the top five when we hit November. And coming in at number one, no surprise to anyone, until further notice, the best team in college football. And that is the two-time reigning champions, the Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby Smart, fantastic season. I mean, 15 and 0. I mean, no reason to nitpick it. Once again, this non-conference schedule by the University of Georgia is absolutely embarrassing. A team with this, this kind of talent don't need this many cupcakes. You're going to need insulin after playing this schedule. Started with UT Martin, Ball State. And then in week four, you play UAB. That's your non-conference. Besides the end of the year with some clean old-fashioned hate versus Georgia Tech. The stretch for the Georgia Bulldogs probably won't come until November. Yes, we know the cocktail party in October, but <clears throat> excuse me, Florida hasn't put up much resistance in the past couple of years. We don't expect them to do a lot so this year. Your two-game stretch is November 11th, a home date against Ole Miss in November 18th. You travel up to Neyland Stadium to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Pretty much as long as you win both of those games, and we won't forget that game October 7th against Kentucky. But you win those three games, you should be major favorites the rest of the season. We could likely see Georgia uh, back in the SEC championship game, which means they are in the national championship hunt. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close in on 90 minutes here, I want to thank you for staying with me here throughout this entire show as we release our college football top 25 preseason poll. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter because we'll still call it Twitter until we're told to call it something else. X mark the spot at Crunch Time VIP. You can also follow our YouTube channel. Uh, just search out Crunch Time Sports Advantage. And if you're listening via the podcast, you can catch us on all of these platforms. Um, our home base at Anchor, but you can also catch us on Google, iTunes, Podcasters, Radio Public, Breakers, Spotify, and Overcast. For my fantastic team here at the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network, Miss Summer, Mr. Billy, who will be back with me uh, very soon. I am Kenneth here at the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network. 
want to thank you once again for um, listening and or watching. Have a fantastic day and enjoy the rest of your weekend. God bless.